There's always DevOps in the banana pants. There is. <laughs> It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm Matt Stratton. And I'm Jessica Kerr. We've got an interesting show for you today, and I hope that you enjoy it. But before you enjoy it, you're going to have to listen to some messages from our sponsors. Do do do. This episode is sponsored by Circle CI. Designed for modern software teams, CircleCI's continuous integration and delivery platform helps developers push code with confidence. Trusted by thousands of companies, from four-person startups to Fortune 500 businesses, CircleCI helps teams take their software from idea to delivery quickly, safely, and at scale. Visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash CircleCI to learn why high-performing DevOps teams use CircleCI to automate and accelerate their CI-CD pipelines. If you are like most of your friends in DevOps, you probably prefer using open-source solutions for observability. But you also wish you didn't have to sacrifice scalability, performance, and simplicity. With Logs.io, you get the best of both worlds for your cloud environment. You can use the tools you love at the scale you need. Logs.io is a fully managed service that offers complete cloud observability for engineers on one unified platform. Log management and cloud sim based on Elk and infrastructure monitoring based on Grafana. To give it a try for yourself, sign up for a free 14-day trial today at logs.io slash ADO and for your chance to win a free Logs.io t-shirt. The worst thing about the Arrested DevOps podcast is when it ends. You're left wondering what to do next. What are you going to listen to on your commute home? How do you occupy your time when walking the dog? What are you going to listen to during the quarterly all-hands meeting? But fear not, dear listener, there is a solution. You need to subscribe to Software Defined Talk right now. It's a weekly podcast that recaps all the news in cloud computing, DevOps, and enterprise software. The hosts, Kote, Matt Ray, and Brandon Wichard, will keep you up to date on all things cloud while offering tips on how to optimize your Costco haul and how to PowerPoint. It's a fun, free-flowing conversation that will keep you entertained and informed. What are you waiting for? Subscribe to the podcast today by visiting softwaredefinedtalk.com or by searching for Software Defined Talk in your favorite podcast app. Joining Jessica and I today is... Jessica uh, and me. Jessica and me joining Jessica and me today. <laughs> language is usage. Language is usage is noted DevOps personality. That's what I'm going to call you right now, Andrew Clay Schaefer. And we're going to be talking about transformation um, because there's a lot of stuff in flux happening right now. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you poked your head out, but things are a changing. And it seemed like a really good time to talk about what transformation is all about, how we can do it better, some things to think about, and we're just going to see where we go. So, uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Andrew, how do you really feel about agile transformation? Well, you heard the off-air version. <laughs> yeah, for those of you that we had a forty-five-minute-long green room conversation before we started recording, so that's the super private show that unfortunately nobody got to hear. But we will try to reconstruct it 
no, we, we, we can't. We will re- not reconstruct it, it because you can't manufacture a moment. <laughs> I, I think that there's there's a, a lot of things going on, right? So obviously, there's this there's this real life thing that's changing what we do, how we do things. And then there's, you know, transformation as a word is, is vague and and ill-defined in, in most cases. But I think that the thing you can't, I think transformation, like other words, you know, agile, whatever has this problem that it is, is common enough in usage that when people say it or hear it, they think they know what it means but but it doesn't. Oh gosh! And everyone thinks it means a different thing too. Precisely, uh, and everyone has a different agenda, and everyone has a different uh, thing they're trying to make happen. Yeah, language is usage. Usage is broad with transformation. Indeed. So, so, for purposes of this, do we want to put some boundaries around what we're talking about when we think about the big bugbear word transformation? So I think just to tie it back to the theme of this podcast, that there is a big word, big T transformation that is being forced on the system, uh, you know, with the circumstances of, of Corona and the rest of it, which is interesting in its own right. But for the sake of the conversation and what I mostly am focused on, it's kind of like, how do you get these these social technical systems of, of humans and computers to do things in a way that, that helps. Um, I've, I'm selfish. I like humans. So it helps the humans have better experiences and, and better performances utilizing that together. Oh yeah. Because now suddenly when we're all working from home during a pandemic, as opposed to voluntarily working remotely, we, we're a lot more dependent for the social interactions on the technical aspects of the system. There, there's a lot of organizations that, you know, by circumstance are being forced to experience a digital reality in their, in their normal day-to-day workflow uh, than, than probably wanted to. Right. And, and I, I don't know how that will actually manifests itself as things go back to whatever the new normal is, but it's, it's definitely forcing the question. Uh, and, and lots of these, I mean, I, I think it's worth stating, you know, some other things really quick. That is when you look at what's happening in the market and what people have, have been attempting to do or will attempt to do digital transformation as like a tagline is not novel. It's been around for a while. People have been trying to do this. And then if you go look you know, it doesn't take that much um, naive Google searching to find two facts. One, there's a lot of investment. So there's one that I dug up. It was an IDC person um, that they they were they were projecting. And this is before the the pandemic. They were they were projecting over seven trillion dollars from 2020 to 2023. Would, would be invested in digital transformation initiatives. That's a lot of, that's a lot of investment. And then uh, the, the second thing that will become obvious if you do this kind of um, naive Google search is that most people will consider the vast majority of their digital transformation initiatives failures. 
like officially, they officially consider them failures or under the table consider like. Over that's beer an interesting, that's an interesting point. I, I think that the, if, if you, if you get into the depths of the politics involved in, in a lot of these enterprises, what happens in many cases is there's not, there's not a clear um, success criteria in the first place. And because of the, the politics of, uh, or, or, the, or the cultural propensity to not allow failure, there, there's lots of things that by all measures would be failures that will be considered success. And I don't think that will go away. But if you're, if you're trying to impact, create you know, value, the rest of the things that I think I would consider success, and these analysts who wrote these reports would consider success, the numbers I've seen for failure rates were uh, between 70%, you know, 66 is thrown around, and, and then the high end was 90 Right. So wow. that's like even worse than the official rate of software project failures. It's almost like changing a socio-technical system is even harder. I think this, this is definitely in line with my kind of DevOps experiences. And I, I just started articulating it this way um, recently. But when you think about these social technical systems and getting everyone to collaborate or whatever the, the word you want to use is one of the things that makes DevOps hard before you start thinking about all these other things. If you're just thinking about this interface between kind of developers and operations and optimizing that, then just there you have two groups. And this is my original framing, which I think people, um, people got more confused than I, I I'd hoped. And, and, and I thought we'd have more interesting conversations with these um, framing, but I, I t- started talking about uh, Pareto inefficient Nash equilibrium, which is, which is basically a way. Which to everyone say, wants to just jump up and have a conversation about. Well, I mean, I do, but <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think, I think the three of us do, but we probably are outliers. <laughs> but, but okay. But, but you can help yourself by explaining the, those words to our listeners so that then there will be thousands of people in the world ready to have a conversation with you about this. So for the home audience, it's a, it's like a academic mathy way to say that you have something where if you change certain things, no one would be any worse. And at least one party would benefit so there's no loss it's all benefit but no one will change so the the nash equilibrium by definition means no no player of the game it's all it's a game theory construct no player of the game would change their strategy unilaterally and so that that framing is you know i i use that in talks going back um seven years ago or so okay so i think you just said there's lots of win-win changes we could make to this session, to this system, or at least win-neutral. It would be win-neutral. The, def, the, the strict definition would be at least win-neutral. It could right. potentially be win-win, but it's not, it's not zero-sum win-loss. Like that's and the, yet, no one does anything. And no, no one will change uh, unilaterally because it's not – like well, the way that I started to simplify and try to explain it is the thing that makes DevOps hard is – that it's not something any one group can do unilaterally. In order mm-hmm. to get these these types of changes to happen, you need you need all the players to simultaneously change their behavior. And and that that is I mean there's a variety of reasons and you know, sociology and psychology 
and, and you know, a bunch of things that, that we see every day trying to do this kind of work with, that, with that prevent those changes in organizations. Okay. So you've got like a unit of action, which usually we, we like to treat individual humans as a unit of action, but practically teams are units of action because they can decide things collectively and make changes. Um, but yet for anything larger than that, we don't have kind of this, this unit of, of collective action. Well, going back to the framing, you know, DevOps framing, and, and you know, this is sort of a rehash of the last decade of these conversations, you, you have... We love to do that. Of course, yeah. Timeless. Uh, <laughs> it, it's slightly worse than that in the sense that on, on face, these, these teams that have different responsibilities to the organization are often set up to have... Uh, incentives that are pitting them against each other. Mm, yeah. So they're like, well, with individuals, you get stack ranking and that's well, a problem. So, so the dev and ops, you know, wall confusion metaphor, you, you have one group on one side who's incentivized to change things or in other words, create instabilities in the system, introduce instability. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and on the other side, you have a group, that's incentivized to, to maintain stability. And these are, these are inherently intertwined concerns. And as soon as you, you separate them into units of responsibility, you get conflict. Well, they're they're already against each other. Like it's Uh set up to be against each other. And in in some cases you've even uh, tied compensation to those incentives in a way that that puts them against each other. Yeah. And this is a thing that we do with people. We want something like stability. So we say you're in charge of stability. And we also want something like uh, feature delivery. And we say you're in charge of feature delivery. And we think that by like giving someone responsibility, because it needs to be a single human who is accountable for the thing we want, that this will somehow put all of those things into the system, but it just makes them fight. Well, I think the word, that, and, and this is a word that's overloaded as well, uh, is system. And, and most, most of these people we're talking about, they, they don't think in systems, right? Yeah, so the, that's... So the thing, yeah, about, you know, systems thinking, you can go to the literature, Sengi, whatever, is, is it's like you, you, you have this tendency in organizations and, and human kind of models of, of thinking to focus on uh, a particular metric, right? So this is like dominant management thinking. Like we want to have, we want to have these metrics. We want to have these KPIs, OKRs, whatever. And so we, we, we focus on the things that we think will, will push that metric in the direction we want it to go. And, and what systems thinking and it kind of like connects back to a bunch of stuff, but definitely influenced the way I think about Devin ops is that, the argument is that you, you get more return for the effort in many cases if you don't focus on pushing these metrics in the direction mm-hmm. that you want them to go, but you focus on removing the resistance to, right. to, to those things happening and, and getting people in a mode where they can, they can enable these, these you know, remove the barriers, the friction, whatever, 
tends to and, and sometimes those barriers are deliberately set up by the division of responsibilities. Oh, oh, absolutely. In in, in fact, they're they're institutionalized over time. And this this is one of the things I see as a as a big or a frequent uh, resistance to change. So there's a resistance to the metric, and then there's a resistance to changing the system. And those aren't necessarily the same, um, but they're they're related. And in the in the human concept of self, and particularly in the in a lot of the Western world where our our last names are literally uh, you know connected to our vocation, humans tend to attach their identity to their task. And when you tell them they're going to do something different than the way they have done it for however long they've been there, then what they often here is you are erasing my identity and, and they will resist the, you know, that's, that's, that creates an immune response to that where they will, they will do everything they can to preserve the order of of the existing thing that they do um, rather than, than accept this. Because it's not just what I do. It's who I am. I I am. am a Java programmer. I think you've seen this movie before. <laughs> so systems thinking um, is incredibly important. It's it's being able to look at the wider system and care about our the, how our actions affect the wider system and not just our immediate personal risk. This is a good time to learn about that. But, it, but it's actually hard. <laughs> it is hard. And, and, and things that seem like, obvious changes in a system don't, don't always, they, they often have unintended consequences, right? So when, when I think this is a simpler version of some of the Sangi stuff, but there's like the double loop learning models. Are, are you familiar with that? I am. Yeah. Can you explain it. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. Single loop. Maybe not single loop learning is when, you do something and you see how it works out and then you do it better. A double loop learning involves thinking, nope, nope, I lost it. You explain it. So I think going back to, you know, the, the stream of consciousness that I just put out there, when you think about the, the notion of a metric or OKRs or KPIs or whatever the, whatever the de facto word for that is this year, then, then you, you set up a model and you often set it up long-term and you say, hey, here's our model and here's this metric we want to push. And then we, we have some kind of plan, do, check or whatever cycle where we, we do a thing and then we check the metric and then we, we give people bonuses or whatever. So that's like a, that's a single loop of that cycle. And, and that allows us to, to do certain things and, and you know, if our first order approximation of the universe and the model that we made matches to those metrics then then we are going to do okay in in the double loop model or what the double loop um, adds to that is that you, you have a way to to think about okay like here's my model of the world and, and i believe these things are true and if i if i push the system this way then it will have this impact on these metrics and so I do that and that happens. And then you say, okay, like, does the, does the data, does, do these metrics match to my model? Like, what's, what's my ability and willingness to update the model and, and change what those are? So 
the the single loop learning is basically like these are our KPIs, and we're going to do whatever we can to make them. The double loop is why are these our KPIs? Should these be our KPIs? And like we're going to change the way we we try to do this. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So when you have a model of how the world works or how your software works and you want to make it faster, for instance, you can work within that model of how it works to make it faster. Whereas the double loop is, okay, what if I changed my, the model itself? What if I learned more about um, how this hardware can help it be faster? Um, or what if I learned more about what the software does and whether it needs to do this slow thing at all? All, all big breakthroughs in science come from the, the boundaries, the anomalies, right? So it's like if, if mm-hmm. these things were true, then we would get these results. And then when you, when you notice like you're not getting the results or you're, or you're noticing all these other kind of second order effects in, in what you know, you're, you're driving towards, then you give yourself as an individual or an organization – the, the right and ability to change the targets so that you can do the right thing, hopefully. So that you can look at the everything else in the system besides this one number that you've been assigned. Or, or maybe you want that number too, but like let's put some other buffers and, and balance those and weight those against the, that singular focus. I've been thinking a lot about modifying the model lately in the sense of you might have a hypothesis of if I change this, piece of code, it will get faster. And maybe it will get faster, but maybe it'll also, I don't know, overheat your laptop and the fan will be on all night and it'll keep you up. Um, the, the hypothesis is most useful when it invalidates or else supports a model and it's the model that's valuable. So here's the challenge, right? So we've been talking about like why this is hard because it's it's a it's having to think about things in a different way, and is there really any? I hate to say incentive, but any driver, any anything within leadership and organizations to think this way versus going at the targets that have been defined, because that's how the worth of the organization is being measured, right? Like, what 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 do we do within an organization? Because it's one thing to tell a practitioner they have they, that's really hard to say an individual practitioner thinking about this and then pushing back on these things. What are what are the what can we do to get as leaders to invest the time and the energy in doing that versus if we're just kind of around for long enough to 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 push the boundary not even push the boundary but to address the thing that we were quote unquote hired to do? Like, how do we, how do we affect this change? There's a a lot of interesting conversations and theories that have kind of been swirling around literally for decades. But if you, if you, you know, cause you can go back to Deming and, and that, that kind of line of thinking, but, but if you think about what leadership means in, in most organizations and, and, and then there's some kind of, namespace collision and confusion uh, the the difference between leadership and, and management but we'll kind of we'll, we'll kind of treat that as like a big ball uh, of, of one thing in some ways at least for the moment there there's dominant management theory for the way most things in most organizations are managed has is essentially a, a, a artifact of the industrial revolution 
and hasn't moved meaningfully forward. Uh, the the I feel like the agile movement, the DevOps movement, some of these conversations, um, you know, Kinevin, like there's a bunch of little pockets of interesting communities who are trying to make things meaningfully move forward. Uh, Wardly mapping is another interesting community. Um, Resilience that, that, engineering. Um, resilience engineering is interesting in other ways. I, I'm not sure it always. The community in particular. Yeah, 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 definitely interesting community. I mean, there's a lot, ton of interesting communities. Um, they're doing aspects of um, what at the end of the day start to look like you need to change your culture, right? So it's like the, mm-hmm. the resilience engineering. Some of these I kind of think of a, like they're, they're little like subgenres of, of DevOps communities, right? So you have, you have observability, chaos engineering, resilience engineering, in, in in some cases, a lot of the people in those organizations or, or in those yeah. um, communities were were sort of central to a lot of the early DevOps um, conversations too, and they kind of like moved on to to have more um, focus or or more um, impact with the yeah. more, more focused impact. The, but the framing of leadership, I feel like there's you know it's kind of threadbare at this point. Like the, this leadership. Um, focus on, you know, whatever kind of Taylorism driven metrics, industrial revolution, you know, factory style management. When you apply that to knowledge work um, and software in particular, you you don't get very good results. We don't need just the leaders to be doing double learning all the way down at the knowledge workers, at the developers. Um, You need that double loop learning at every level of the system. But I think, doesn't it go back to, we're talking about making this change and then we're taking leadership style that like Andrew said, is coming from this older way of thinking. And then even when these new ideas come in, they get retrofitted so that you can do them still based around Taylorism. <laughs> so right? you can, you can yeah. call them success based on metrics taken from an older system. Well, are still being driven by those those things, and I think maybe that's and and I know there's a lot of belief in a lot of these communities that you have to succeed in spite of management, right? right? You know, and I feel like maybe that's where some of this gap is happening because then it comes in and there starts to be some success, and this is what gets you safe, right? This is actually the framing that I was leading to, where yes, you want double loop learning um, from the edge, and and you know another thing that I. Uh, spent a lot of time thinking about it and is related to this is this notion of organizational learning and organizational learning is only possible if the kind of central nervous system all the way back to leaders has a good sensor network connected to the the lowest level line workers and and that you know information and decision making has to be uh, a core competence at kind of every level uh, of the organization but the reason I, I, I started this thread and, and framed it this way is, yes, you want double loop um, capabilities and adaptive capabilities at, at every part of the um, social technical system. But what happens in real life uh, on, on many of these um, little, little transformation journeys is that if you don't have leaders who are in, in that kind of mindset where they want to reimagine that model – then they can actively prevent the rest of the organization from having that capability. And one thing 
Matt said earlier, it's a new way of thinking. You have to change your way of thinking, but it's more than that. It's like you have to want to continually change your way of thinking. I, I think this is this is an interesting kind of subtopic where if you look at the if you if you look at like Stengi's model or the fifth discipline or whatever that like you you have what what he describes as um, there's there's a domain of action and doing and then there's the domain of kind of in, in enduring change and ideation and and if you spend too much time in either one of those domains then then it's potentially pathological right and so this is why you get this this tension where on on one side if you're only doing things and you're only in that single loop then you can never get better and and there's a you know like a silly quote that i kind of throw in a lot of talks that it's basically you know i'm too busy getting things done to learn anything i can't learn anything right. i'm too busy getting things done and and I usually attribute that to the least productive person in the world. And, and then the other side of that is the danger of only being in the domain of learning and, and you know, becoming too disconnected from the doing. And, and that's a pathology or, or that, that doesn't lead to the optimal um, outcomes either. So the, the key in my kind of mental model here is, is finding a balance between taking actions and doing things and then and then revisiting the the domain of learning and bringing that back in in some kind of um cycle and and you know certain times you, you probably want more doing than others and and sometimes it warrants that kind of reflective um only learning investment to kind of get to a, a new place but if you only do learning or you only do action then you're not going to get good outcomes either because that, that first loop, that the single loop of doing and um, improving within a model, that's using the model. And if all you do is form new models and you never use them, well, one, you won't get anything done because you're not using your models. And two, your models lose connection from reality. But you might get a PhD. That's good. No, you might. You might. Um, and that, I mean, that's, that's essentially what we do as humans all the time. We form some mental model of the world around us because we need it in order to take action. And as we take action, if we're paying attention, we might improve the accuracy of our mental model. So I need to know whether I'm hungry and what kind of thing is food in order to choose to eat that potato chip that's over there just out of reach. And... (laughs) And yet, if I'm paying attention, I might notice that it's stale and choose not to eat its friends. But I don't have anything else to eat, so I'm probably going to eat this still. <laughs> yeah. It was right there. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, like choosing to act in a world full of uncertainty is what humans do. Well, I think, I think in some sense what the models try to bring is a sense of certainty. And, and there is a real, on the individual level and the organizational level, uh, like th- there's just a, an exhaustion that comes from only learning, right? And, and I feel this in my own kind of, like, so, so quick aside, like I am trying to get better at chess and I'm trying to get better at playing guitar. And, um, and I'm also studying Arabic, which is super hard. But um, I, I feel like there's, there's modes of, 
of practicing chess or guitar that are what help me make progress by adding new things to my system, my model. But it's also hard and exhausting compared to just like blowing off steam, um, playing a few games or, or like, you know, playing a few um, bars, right? And, and so it's like a very real kind of concrete example, um, not necessarily related to anything to do with computers or social technical systems, and there's no third party involved, but, but it's like I know what it takes for me to make certain progress and learning new skills for, for those activities. And that activity, that kind of like meta activity of learning ha- has its own kind of exhaustion. And, and like, I can only maintain it um, at a certain level before I kind of like want to go back to like, you know, just play a few games and, and, and not really focus on that intensity of, of learning the model or moving the model. Yeah. I read a thing once in a book about motorcycle riding uh, where it's like, okay, when, when you're trying to get better, you need to, while you're, whenever you're riding, devote 5% of your brain to uh, observing, like what's going on? What did I do there? And was it successful? And then you can reflect on that later. Whereas during the motorcycle race, you don't try to do that. You put a hundred percent of your brain on going as fast as you can. Um, so yeah, that's, that's there's a balance in there. And I, I think just to kind of wind this up and, it, and bring it back to be kind of news topical, there's, there's times when you're trying to improve and you're trying to flex your learning and you're trying to flex your understanding. And then there's times when you just have to do the work because you don't have the capacity to, like Andrew said, expand to that. And that's a little bit about what's happening in the world right now. Right. Where we talked about, you know, just you, you made a, a, a reference very early on about working from home during a pandemic versus remote work. You know, so these are the things we're trying to do. Yeah, this maybe, is hard. You know, just just kind of functioning. Um, we, we don't have the, the bandwidth to necessarily try to improve everything right now. Oh, some, some folks have to just be able to to to, to work. And 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 move forward. Um, so we need and to not some... at the same pace either. Yeah. So some people are born to transformation, and some people have transformation thrust upon them. And, and right now, right now we are all the there, there's a lot of transformation thrust upon us. Yeah. So I, I... <laughs> so the point being that transformation, that learning, in another sense, we have to learn right now. And so we're not going to get as much work done. But that's essential. The, the model itself is basically changing out from mm-hmm. under a lot of the assumptions that people have had about how the world works. Yeah. So, yeah. And we need to update that. So keep that in mind, everybody, as you're going through what you're going through right now. Xander said, models are changing. The way we work is changing. Everything's moving. Give yourself... And give your colleagues and give your family and give your coworkers. And I suppose you can give your boss a little bit of flexibility and understanding and care about that. We, we know things are changing. Also, um, eat more chocolate. And eat more chocolate and wash your damn hands. Stay safe. So, stay yeah. safe. Uh, I That's bringing us kind of to the end of our show. This is a little bit of a shorter one, but it's very condensed. It was very special. Um, 
we'll have some links in the show notes to things about Pareto and efficient Nash equilibrium. <laughs> amusingly, if you Google Andrew Schaefer and Pareto Nash equilibrium, one of the top hits is the one of the times Andrew was on the show. So there's kind of apparently it's a recurring theme. There's some recursion happening with that. Um, but you can find those show notes at arresteddevops.com slash transformation and arresteddevops.com slash iTunes is if you feel like pushing the envelope of the system and leaving us a review, you can do that. It does things. Um, you can listen to the show on Spotify or iHeartRadio. Uh, Andrew, this has been fascinating as always. And uh, is there any last little thing that, that I cut you off a little bit? And I know that's dangerous, but it's also dangerous to say, Andrew, do you have anything else to say? <laughs> you know, But do you have anything else you want to share? Or? Honestly, I just want everyone to stay safe and, and believe in, in whatever that new model is, that we as humans have the resilience and the adaptive capacity to, to build something better uh, when this is over. It's not the same, but it's going to be interesting. It's not it, the same, but it's going to be interesting. And it's us. We, it's all on us. Let's, let's, let's make it happen. I'm Matt at Matt Stratton. And I'm Jessica. At Jessitron. And I'm, I'm that little idea, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> this has been Arrested DevOps. So remember. There's always DevOps. Where's the banana stand again? <laughs> <laughs>